Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Along with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. The season is off and running. We are happy about that. Coming up in just a little bit, going to have ACC writer and Blue Ribbon contributing editor, a guy that's written for Blue Ribbon for a long time and covered the Atlantic Coast Conference, Brett Friedlander. So looking forward to visiting with him in just a few minutes. Chris, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going great, buddy. I, I'm just so glad to, for basketball to be back and I told you this off the air, but I went to my first game since March 7th, 2020 on Sunday. East Tennessee State at Tennessee. And, you know, it wasn't a big game in the national sense, like, uh, you know, Villanova and UCLA or Texas and Gonzaga, but it was a game and I was there and I loved it. And, uh, boy, it was cool to see Kennedy Chandler too. He's the real deal SEC freshman of the week. And, uh, he's special. I, I think he's the best player that Rick Barnes has coached at Tennessee. Oh, wow. That, that's saying something right there. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, it's been special to, to be back in the gym again. Uh, I, I did some games in person last year but wasn't able to travel or anything like that. And it's just a different feeling. I've done uh, two games so far at Vanderbilt. And to see people in the stands, too, it makes all the difference. The, the atmosphere feels more like it, it normally does. And I know you probably sensed a little bit of that in the game you went to in Knoxville. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a full house by any means, but uh, just to see fathers and sons there and, and, and fans and of all descriptions, it was great. And, you know, part of college basketball, it, it's more than just the game. It's sort of the pageantry and the fans and the cheerleaders and the fans and, and everything that goes into it. And I just always love it the best of anything uh, that I've ever covered or, or ever will cover just for all the sideshow that goes along with it. And, of course, most of the players who play aren't going to do it for a living, and they're doing it for the joy of the game, I think. And I really – there's something to me that's always appealed about that and always will. Did Rick Barnes let you shoot any threes while you are over there? That seems to be the uh, the thing to do in that gym these days, huh? He didn't let me crank any, but I'll tell you, uh, his team is, is, is putting them up, and – and he's got some really, really good shooters. Uh, the other day at the game I went, I think six different people made a three. And really, one of their best shooters, Santiago Vescovi, didn't have a great day from behind the arc. But, yeah, they're they're not afraid to launch. I don't think they want to average 40 like they did in their exhibition and their first regular season game and their uh, inter-squad games. Actually, their close scrimmage, too, against Davidson in, in five different – outings they average 40 uh i don't think they want to do that in a perfect world but they certainly can they can get into a shootout with anybody well chris there have been some really good games nationally uh how good was number one gonzaga in winning that game with taxes on saturday really won it pretty handily you talk about fantastic atmospheres that was awesome in spokane and drew timmy looks better than ever had 37.7 rebounds and three assists against the longhorns you know the freshman chad holmgren's been getting his feet wet getting his career off the ground too but boy i thought gonzaga looked awfully good in that game against texas and really worthy of that number one ranking yeah i've learned i don't know in the last five years or so that gonzaga is one of those teams that you can't underestimate uh as being if if not the best, one of the top two or three teams in the country, Mark Fuse just built the program uh, that well and that consistently. And Drew Timmy, I mean, he was Blue Ribbon's uh, preseason 
national player of the year, and he didn't disappoint early on. He pretty much carved Texas up. They didn't try to double cover him, and Texas isn't all that big. And uh, they'll get a little bigger when, when a, a player that you know well, Dylan DeSue, is is back healthy again. Uh, but, yeah, Drew Timmy was, was something. He, he was – Wow. He, he just carved through Texas like they weren't there. And he just got so many moves and he knows where, where his home is, where his office is. You score 37 points against a power conference team. That's, you know, that's earning your scholarship. UCLA and Villanova was also a terrific game. Uh, UCLA won in overtime in front of a, a really fired-up crowd at Pauley Pavilion, which you can't always say in that place. Do you, do you think that Final Four run of last season and just the run they made all the way through the tournament, you know, from the, the first four to the Final Four, do you think that could be a, a program changer for the Bruins with Mick Cronin? Uh, I think there's no question. It's funny how they say that uh, a coach might not be the first choice, the second choice, or the third choice, but he was the right choice. Uh-huh. And Mick Cronin, I don't know, honestly, those of us who know basketball know he's an excellent coach, but honestly, I don't think he won the press conference when UCLA hired him. But the thing that, that's different about Mick Cronin at UCLA than it was at, at Cincinnati is he could just get so many more elite players. At Cincinnati, he intentionally recruited guys, and maybe he had to recruit guys that – weren't that rated, maybe had chips on their shoulder, transfers, JUCO players. Here, he can get five-star blue-chip guys, and he knows how to coach them up and and keep their respect. I think players want to be coached hard as long as they know that you have their back and care about them. And and obviously, Mick Mick Cronin has done that. The knock on him at Cincinnati was they never really got past the first weekend of of the NCAAs, but yeah. now that he's got elite level players and it looks like he'll continue to get elite level players. I think that program is, wow. I, I, I dare say it seems like it could be at its best level since the, the wizard of Westwood uh, roamed the sidelines. So I, I think so. What about Florida's win over Florida state on Sunday, 71 55, the, the Seminoles had won seven straight in that series it was a big game in in the sense too that it was last year in that matchup that Keontae Johnson collapsed on the floor, and I know he's still trying to decide how to proceed with his career. But it was a really emotional win for Mike White's team, and even Leonard Hamilton noted that uh, in his post game press conference. But that that felt like a significant result here early in the season. No question. I mean, there's a lot of question marks about Florida, and I. I think Mike White has undeservedly gotten some criticism. I think he's an excellent coach and does things the right way. But there were some questions about Florida this year, mainly because they were going to have to rely on so many transfers. But uh, all three of those transfers played well. And another transfer who actually played last year was Colin Castleton. He, He goes for 15, 16 boards and six blocks. And that's no small accomplishment against a Florida State team that is always has a sturdy and, and long front line. So, yeah, that was a needed win. Uh, I think it, it added to the ACC's kind of opening week woes that, <laughs> that we'll talk to Brett about. But uh, it was certainly good for Mike White and the Gators. 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting team because they, they do have a handful of transfers. They really remade their roster. It looks like a completely different group. Not completely, but but certainly a very different group than what they had last season when I thought they had a pretty good team. Colin Castleton's, you know, you mentioned him being a transfer. Came down from Michigan, and he's a Florida native, and I was really impressed with him. I saw him play in person a couple times last year, and I thought that dude just looked like a good player. He uh, was really impressive in the game when they played at Vanderbilt last season. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what Florida does this season with a team that looks different from last year you mentioned earlier uh, I, I worked the games uh, at Vanderbilt uh, calling the games for the Commodores and off to a good start played Alabama State last Wednesday and played Texas State on Sunday night and uh, Scotty Pippen Jr. You, you always talk about when it's winning time when it was winning time Scotty Pippen Jr. took over that game he ended up with 30 points he makes some big shots and uh Good defensive plays, too. Got the payoff a couple times after a back tip or, or something like that. So if you watch that team, Jordan Wright and Miles Studi look like completely different players. They have reshaped their bodies in the offseason. Both of them have lost some weight, look a lot more light on their feet. And uh, I thought, you know, as a team in both those games, there's some things to clean up, but I thought they looked pretty good so far. I'll tell you, uh, Scotty Pippen, I can't wait to see Scotty Pippen and Kennedy Chandler go at it in the SEC, but I think that he has begun to master the art of knowing when to call his own number and knowing when to facilitate. And that's the sign of a great point guard back in my day. When I, I guess first started covering college basketball eons ago, you heard the expression scoring point guard a lot. Yeah. And and back then it was kind of an oxymoron, you know, point guards are not supposed to score. They're supposed to set up, but now everybody's a quote-unquote scoring point guard, but not everybody does it well. And I think Scottie Pippen has mastered the art. You know, he can go for 30 or he can get you eight assists, and he's always tough to contain. You have to know where he is every second of the game. And Kennedy Chandler looks a lot like that too, yeah. so I can't wait to see those two hook up. It'll, it'll be a great matchup. Chris, I got a little blast from the past after the game on Sunday night. There's a young man named Taryn Frank who plays for Vanderbilt. He transferred from TCU. His father is Tellus Frank, who is one of the great players in the history of Western Kentucky basketball, which is people know as my alma mater. I, I grew up going to Western games in Bowling Green, and when I was a teenager, Tellus Frank played for Western on some terrific teams under Clem Haskins. Uh, they had this front line uh, of Tellus Frank, Kennard Johnson, and uh, and a guy named Clarence Martin who, who passed away, unfortunately, a few years back. But they, they were really, really good during that time. And, and to me, Tellus is – I would say he's one of the five best players uh, to play at Western. I, I saw him after the game, and I walked up to him and said, you're Tellus Frank, aren't you? Aren't you? And, I, and I talked to him for a couple minutes and kind of told him a little bit of that, that I'd seen him play a lot as a teenager. He played some in the NBA, but it, it's really cool to me – to, to see sons of people that you watched play, you know, now having good careers in their own right. In some ways, it makes you feel old, too, when you uh, see sons. That, you know, I used to see Scottie Pippen Jr., and his father is one of the all-time legends of the NBA. But, uh, yeah, you, you see these next generation of guys come along and, uh, and kind of know their history, and it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I know what you mean about feeling old. I, I'm, I deal regularly with several uh, head coaches that, I covered his players, uh, Mike White being one example whom we spoke about earlier. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on, and uh, it's the ever uh, unrelenting passage of time, but it is cool. And I think what you mentioned, uh, uh, I remember those Clem Haskins era teams of Western Kentucky, and I just think, uh, you know, the tradition uh, is kind of what I spoke about earlier too. Uh, 
that's the other thing is not that the NBA doesn't have tradition, but when you, when you talk about tradition at, at, at in college basketball, it, there's just something else about it uh, yeah. to me that appeals uh, the history of it. And, and uh, it, it's pretty cool to see players that are coaches that, that you saw play or, or players that, that you covered their fathers and, uh, it's it just a never-ending cycle of life. I saw Mike Krzyzewski coach Duke when I was a kid, and now he's still coaching Duke as uh, he gets to the uh, near the finish line of his career. Brett Friedlander is going to join us uh, here shortly, uh, covers the ACC, a Blue Ribbon contributing editor. Give me your thoughts on Duke and, and what you saw, especially in that game against Kentucky at Madison Square Garden. I know it's the opening game of the season, but Paulo Bancaro and Trevor Keels are just terrific in that game. I saw a little bit of their game against Army. Uh, I think that was on Friday night. But you know, they start this Coach K farewell season, and I, I thought they looked good. And, and beating a, a really a, a new-look Kentucky team that I thought uh, did some really nice things in that game too in New York. Yeah, I think Paulo is a dude. and That's the best compliment I can give him. He's a dude. Uh you know, a lot of people think he might be the best freshman in the country. We picked Chet Holmgren, and Paulo's gotten off to a really good start. And Chet Holmgren's just kind of feeling his way, uh, you know, which I think he should let Drew Timmy do his thing. But Trevor Keels was the guy. Uh, even though he's built like a linebacker, I I don't know that a lot of people thought that he could bust up in his first game and do what he did against Kentucky. Was it 24 and 10 or mm-hmm. whatever? Uh but I'll tell you what, if, if those two are going to play like that all year, and uh, I, I think Duke might give – has the capability at least of, of giving Coach K the ultimate uh, parting gift. <laughs> well, first would be the uh, blue ribbon cover, and then second would be a national championship, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, if folks haven't seen it, by the way, the, the blue ribbon cover with Coach K is super cool. And I know, Chris, you, you put in a lot of work and, and work with designers to, to make that look just right. It just did a great job, and it, it's really neat. And i got to say, I've already used my blue ribbon a whole bunch. I have that tablet version, man. I fire that thing up, and I, I get everything I need to know about these teams I'm prepping for. It's great. Well, I appreciate that. You're you're one of our target audience for sure. Um <laughs> people that work in the game and, and, and need a tool like blue ribbon, but you know, an ever increasing amount of people are buying the book. I'm happy to say it's still for sale. A gratuitous plug at blue ribbon yearbook.com. Uh, we're about sold out of our spiral edition. I, I got to save one back for you, man. I promise you I'll bring you one, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you saying that so many people have called me this year and, and, Thank me for the work we do, and you included, man. You're you're an editor now. You're you're one of us, and uh, you know, teaming up with me on this podcast. But I would just like to say it, it, it's a book for junkies uh, by junkies. And uh, if you don't love basketball, you can't put out a book like Blue Ribbon. And and all of us who are involved with it, we love it. And I couldn't do it without every last one of you. And, and there's probably 40 strong on our team of writers and editors and and uh, copy uh, readers. And and uh, it's just such a great labor of love. And this time of year, it's always good to just settle back and watch people read it. And occasionally, I don't look at it much, but sneak a peek at Twitter and, hmm. and see what people are saying. I did see one guy. Uh, this is kind of funny. He said, necessary improvement for this year's edition of Blue Ribbon. 
and he he tweeted a picture of the blue ribbon he'd ripped the cover off <laughs> and, and apparently not a coach k fan oh man <laughs> i i resisted the urge to to write back at him i i said man uh, you know you wasted your money i could have sent you a, a couple of books got wet in in transit from the printer <laughs> i, I would have just sent them to you if i knew you were going to maim the thing but uh yeah, I guess, uh, again, not a Duke fan. Uh, looking forward to having Brett Friedlander here with us in just a moment. One more game I wanted to, to throw your way. The Belmont-Furman game on Monday night was a terrific basketball game. The Bruins rallied at the end and got it to overtime. A three-shot foul sent Luke Smith to the stripe with just seconds to go. He knocked down all of them. Grayson Murphy made some huge plays down the stretch, hit a big three, was in on a block on, on a key play at the end of regulation. But that, to me, looked like two teams – and you can call them mid-majors, you can call them whatever you want, but they're good basketball teams. You might see both those teams in the bracket when March gets here. Oh, I think so. It's it's uh, Furman got out of the box with an OT win at Louisville. So uh, that 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 was one of the more surprising results. Uh, but, yeah, that, that was a test for Belmont, and it's a good series. I, I know both coaches, and they talked about playing home and home. And the, uh, I think it's a four-year contract, if I'm not mistaken. Those teams should play one another. One time, Furman, Furman's coach, Bob Ritchie, told me, he said, I don't want to say I'm copying everything that Rick Bird did at Belmont, but we kind of are. <laughs> Chris, our guest has arrived. He is Brett Friedlander. Uh, ACC writers covered that league a long time. One of the best in a blue ribbon contributing editor. Brett, what's going on? Not much. I'm uh, fired up about basketball starting, but I'm even more fired up about my Atlanta Braves winning the World Series. Oh, man. Did, now, did you, did you buy some championship swag? I, I ordered some for my wife. She's a big Braves fan. Yes, I did. And actually, it just started arriving about, what, two weeks after they won it. So <laughs> it's coming piecemeal, but that makes it even better because you get a little at a time so you can continue to celebrate. There you go. Brett, uh, uh, I didn't know Brett at, uh, before. I knew his brother Andy at first and he was writing for Blue Ribbon and he said hey if you ever need anybody covering the ACC my brother Brett is is Mr. ACC (laughs) uh you know well respected has covered the league forever knows everything about it and I said you had me at Mr. ACC uh what's his number and Brett was that what 15 20 years ago maybe about 15 I don't know (laughs) it's been a while (laughs) yeah and, and so, so glad uh, I, I took your brother up on that. He actually dropped off. Uh, he, he got a, a day job, I guess, uh, a regular job. But uh, glad you've remained. And we were talking, the, the ACC, which is your uh, uh, bailiwick, didn't get off to the best of starts this week, did it? No. And, you know, if you, uh, if you look back and, and combine that with last season, uh, it's pretty kind of – it's troubling, to be honest with you. Uh, last year, they didn't have a, a team that was seated higher than number four in the AC, in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, you could kind of write that off as being, you know, a COVID-related drop-off. Well, when you start the season with Virginia losing at home to Navy, uh, Georgia Tech losing to Miami of Ohio, uh, the Citadel beating Pittsburgh, and now Furman taking out Louisville, it's it's really uh, a bad look, and it's something that, that – you know, you have to keep an eye on because uh, with with Jim Phillips coming in as the uh, as the commissioner and him publicly stating what's been whispered for years now that uh, you know that the ACC is putting more emphasis now on football than basketball. 
it's 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 really uh, kind of a troubling situation. It's not a good start. I was kind of surprised uh, at Florida, Florida State, because uh, the Seminoles have had the Gators number, and yep, we've talked about this. Mike White was maybe a little bit on that dreaded hot seat. I, I mean, I didn't think that, but it had been written. Uh, and then Colin Castle just went crazy against what is always a good front line for the Knowles. Uh, that was a litmus test, too, I think, for Florida and Florida State. Yeah, it was. I think more so for Florida than Florida State, because I'm going to give um, uh, the Seminoles a little bit of a pass here because they, they are replacing so many guys. Usually, uh, you know, Coach Ham's got a, a veteran who's been there for four or five years to kind of step up and be that lead guy. You know, he's got a couple of transfers. He's got another, you know, couple of uh, uh, freshmen that could be one and done. So I think it may take a month or so to kind of get them rolling, especially on the defensive end where, you know, where they've made their, you know, their reputation over the years. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's also uh, not, not, not necessarily a good, a good start. Our guest is Brett Friedlander, covers the ACC, a Blue Ribbon contributing editor. Uh, a little about Duke, and I know there's been news come out just as we uh, came on uh, to do our show here, Apollo Bancaro and some off-court uh, uh, situation. Uh, maybe we'll know more about that as we go along. But he was really impressive, I thought, in their win over Kentucky and Madison Square Garden. Trevor Keels was terrific, too. Uh, what, what's impressed you about that group as they sort of start, start this uh, Coach K farewell season in Durham? Well, What's impressed me most is the opposite of what we were just talking about with Florida State, how they seem to have incorporated all those new pieces so seamlessly. Uh, Trevor Keels has been a real revelation. I mean, I knew he was a really good player. He had a a great reputation coming out of high school. You know, it kind of reminds me a little um, of a couple of years ago when everybody was looking at R.J. Barrett as the guy. And then along came some kid named Zion, mm-hmm. and he became this you know, this revelation. Well, uh, you know, pa- uh, Paolo has been everything he was cracked up to be, but you know, Trevor Keels has has really you know maybe upstaged him a little bit. Um, and then of course Wendell Moore's uh, you know uh, improvement with the triple double has been uh, you know a, a, a huge you know jump for him, um, and so. I, I think that that has been, to me, the biggest, you know, the, the most impressive thing is the way they've kind of meshed everything together. I think Duke right now is the saving grace for the ACC because the, you know, the attention that they're getting and the attention that Shashevsky is getting basically will mask a lot of the, you know, <laughs> the, the shortcomings of some of the other schools. You know, it's funny because Kay keeps saying, well, it's not about me. It's not about me. But the fact that, you know, it is about him and so much attention mm-hmm. is, is being placed on him not only masks some of the other things that are going on outside of, you know, Duke, but it also takes some of the pressure off of this team. Think about the pressure that, that the, uh, the Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish team was under. I mean, they were under the microscope right from the get-go. Well, this team now maybe gets to fly a little under the radar because everybody is making such a big deal about the farewell tour. And, you know, maybe if this team wasn't so talented and wasn't so ready to, you know, to, to, to take off right away, Kay might not have announced his retirement to go through this farewell tour. Sure. Maybe he waits until the end and says, bye-bye, I'm done. Well, by, by announcing it so early, and, and again, putting so much attention on him and, and, and you know, be, with the whole farewell tour, 
now that's where the emphasis is and not on where the team is. And so they get a chance to kind of maybe not be under such a, you know, such a microscope. And North Carolina, they did do it the other way with Roy Williams saying so long after last season. And, and now Hubert Davis is the head coach. Uh, did, how do you see that coaching transition going? And is it a little bit uncomfortable if Roy is as visible as he has been so far in, in these first couple games? Yeah, it's been totally the opposite of what uh, Dean was when he left because, you know, even though he had an office at, at, at the Smith Center, uh, he never came to the games. In fact, I can only remember him coming to a couple of games, and one of which is uh, they, uh, one that they honored Michael Jordan at. So it is a totally different situation, but I think they're handling it pretty well, um, and especially Hubert, who has really kind of changed. It's a subtle change. But he's made a fundamental change in the way Carolina plays. It's not an inside-outside situation anymore, the way Roy and the way uh, 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 Guthridge and the way Dean Smith uh, uh, approach things. He's gone to more of a positionless, more perimeter-oriented game. And so far, it looks pretty good. Um, they've, uh, you know, they've played pretty well. They, they, they struggled a little with Brown. But uh, you know, they, they made shots when they had to. And they, they kept their poise. And, and it's a veteran team, even though they haven't played together. So I, I think that so far, and of course, the sample side is very small. Yeah. Um, it, it seems to be working. We'll see how it goes the first time adversity hits. Brett, we were talking off the air about Wake Forest. And, and I think Coach Steve Forbes' uh, sartorial choices. <laughs> uh, but do you think that they could be a surprise team in the league. I know he's got a lot of transfers, but that's what he does. He's he's an old Ju- Juco coach, and yep. he's always used to building from scratch every year. I had uh, lunch with one of his assistants, Savage, a couple of weeks ago, and he was pretty high on that bunch. What do you What do you think? I, I kind of like the ability that they've got. And you listen, you know, they brought in a lot of new guys, but what I think that the glue of this team the guy who's really going to be the breakout star is Williamson, uh, who came over to Wake Forest with Forbes from East Tennessee State. And he played last year, and, you know, it was such a disjointed season. They missed an entire month, you know, right at the very beginning with COVID. And they never really kind of got, a, uh, you know, any kind of uh, rhythm going. But I think that, that he is a big, big piece of this. Because not only do I think he's the best player on this team, but he's also a guy who's been with, with Forbes and been with Forbes during a regular season, you know, during a normal season. And he can help kind of indoctrinate everybody to what the coach is trying to do. Um, the, the side kid or C or I, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. All I know is you, you spell it S-Y. Uh, he's a transfer who has really gotten off to a really nice start. In fact, uh, you know, I think a, 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 an indication of how good he is and how big of a role he's going to play is that uh, Tariq Ingraham, who star-crossed big man, who uh, you know, who played in three games over two years because of injuries and COVID, and who they really like, has already in, uh, entered the transfer portal, and, and and I think that says a lot about uh, you know about what they've got you know up front. So yeah, I, I really like this team. Uh, I say Amusius is another kid who has played well at times, hasn't been real consistent. But, you know, a lot of talent. Um, again, how, how quickly is this group going to come together? The fact is that there's not a whole lot being expected of them. Um, they've got nowhere else but to go but up. But uh, I, I think this is a team that could surprise. Maybe not get in the top half of the ACC, 
but make an enormous stride and and really start to uh, you know to 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 get that momentum going in the right direction under Forbes. Brett, we uh, alluded uh, to your base love of baseball a while ago, and I wanted to let you know um, last week. You know, I teach a sports writing class and uh, at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and I we were talking about our favorite sports movies, and, and uh, my co-favorite is Field of Dreams. And I said, "Oh yeah, I, I have a buddy who wrote a book about the actual Moonlight Graham." Yep. And I don't know how many people know it because they know you for your basketball, but it's called Chasing Moonlight, the true story of Field of Dreams, Doc Graham. Tell us a little bit about that and what you learned uh, during the reporting of that project. Well, like you, Field of Dreams is my favorite uh, favorite movie. I, I watch it all the time. I can recite it verbatim. My wife is sick of seeing it, and especially come <laughs> playoff time because I always – I always kind of like to get in the mood of the game, you know, by, by watching Field of Dreams and knowing that anything could happen. But yeah, yeah. It, it's it's interesting because um, I was working at the newspaper in Fayetteville, North Carolina, at the time, and a friend of mine came in and saw the movie poster I had at my cubicle, and he said, "Did you know that Moonlight Graham was a real person? That he's he was born in Fayetteville." I said, nah. "So I went and got a copy of uh, uh, the um, a baseball encyclopedia. Sure enough." Moonlight Graham, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so I started doing a little research on him um, and, and kind of got bitten by the bug. And he's really an interesting guy. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he actually was a doctor. Um, he actually played minor league baseball beyond his one year with the, uh, uh, the Giants. Um, very fascinating story. Uh, and it would definitely be uh, worth your while to pick up the book and, uh, and, and, and to read all about it. I'm looking at it right now. It's still on Amazon. It it, it yep. it's going up in price though. <laughs> yeah, but you know <laughs> you what though? Hurry. Um the there's a, a a foundation in upstate New York called the Parkhurst Field Foundation. Um oh, cool. a guy by the name of um David Karpinski got in touch. He was a big fan and anyway, um Moonlight Graham actually played games on that field when he was in the minors in the New York Penn League. Um it, it's in uh, I believe Gloversville, New York. But anyway, um he bought all the remaining copies of that when um, when, when wow. my publishing house went out of business and was going to destroy them. And so uh, they're selling them for charity. So go on the Parkhurst Foundation website, and you can see how to get it at regular price. Have you been to the field in Dyersville, Iowa? Oh, yeah. I did a book signing there uh, back, I guess it was in maybe 2010, 2011. Uh, hit a ball into the, uh, into the corn, but it was on one bounce. But uh, yeah, it was still cool, though. It it was pretty cool. Very cool. Brett Friedlander uh, joining us here. Uh, Always great to have him with us and uh, talk some hoops and talk some baseball. Congrats on your Braves and uh, hope we can catch up with you again down the road, Brett. Sounds good. Hopefully the ACC can pick things up as we go along and they get to the conference play. Thanks, buddy. That was Brett Friedlander. He is an ACC writer, Mr. ACC, as Chris refers to him, and a Blue Ribbon contributing editor, long time with Blue Ribbon, and uh, he knows everything about the ACC. We could have talked to him for probably another hour. I had a whole bunch more questions about different teams, uh, Syracuse and Louisville and everybody else, but we'll get to those maybe next time we talk to him. And uh, I I love the stuff about Field of Dreams. I I saw the movie in the theater way back in the day. My uncle and I went and saw it, and I like to go to the field in Iowa sometime. You know, they they played that major league game out there last season uh, with the Yankees 
Yankees and the White Sox, and it turned out to be a classic game with a walk-off home run and everything else. And I, I believe the Reds are supposed to play there in, in 2022. So uh, I'd like to get out there sometime and check that out. But I, like you guys, Ooh, I, I, that's I, your team, man. Yeah, that's I know. A, that's a field. That's a road trip. Exactly. But uh, I, like you, I've I've seen the movie a whole bunch of times, and I can probably recite most of it too. And uh, <laughs> the scene where where he goes to. Uh, James Earl Jones's apartment, Terrence Mann's apartment, and, and he, he kidnap him. Yeah, he's like, that, "That's not a gun. That's your finger. <laughs> What's that? Oh, that's a crowbar. I'm going to hit you with it." Anyway, I'll this, tell you, man, some, some classic scenes in that movie for sure. The the one that gets to me every time was when uh, the little girl falls off the bleachers. She's choking to death, and Moonlight Graham, the player, comes to the edge of the field, and and he knows. That if he steps over, uh-huh. uh, whatever baseball career he had in the afterlife was history. And he steps over and it, he becomes Burt Lancaster as, as Doc Graham yeah. and saves the little girl's life. That gets to me every time. I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> that That is a great scene because, yeah, as soon as he steps over the line, you know, he, he, he has the suit in the doctor bag. And, uh, yeah, it's a, just yeah, a classic scene. This little scene. girl is choking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Timothy Busfield becomes a believer right there on the spot, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't sell the field. Uh, Chris, man, it's always a lot of fun. And uh, just glad the season's off and running and look forward to doing uh, more and more podcasts with you throughout the year. Yeah, now we're on, on a weekly basis. Un- unless you're – going to be in hawaii or something yeah and, and i may be in <laughs> pittsburgh next week too so we'll, we'll figure out something but uh, yeah look, looking forward to it throughout the year thanks buddy all right buddy he's chris dorch i'm kevin agram that is the blue ribbon college basketball podcast we'll talk to you next time